My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. This is our first show of 2021. So Wrong. happiest in- Wait, what? <laughs> we, did, uh... we did Soul. This last five days has not been a month. Yeah. It's only been five days. Honestly, keep this entire intro because that <laughs> just goes to show you what kind of time warp we're in. All right, we are in... The second show of 2021. I forgot time because, you know, the country is falling apart. But hey, in the meantime... Marvel movies are coming back. <laughs> exactly. Let's focus on what's really important. What is keeping the union together? And that is the anticipation for Marvel content. Yes, yeah. Eric, today, we, or in the last week or so, we've gotten two exciting bits of news. And that was, number one, Oscar Isaac officially confirmed as Moon Knight. That had been a little up in the air, even though it was reported by the trades because they didn't mention it at Disney Day Investor Day. But, you know, people involved with the project have confirmed it. It's good to go. That's amazing piece of news. Did you have something to say? Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. I was just trying to set up my mic. But I guess I will piggyback off that and say that today, Deadpool 3 was even though it was confirmed back in November, I think, and I think it was through the trades as well, Kevin Feige today came out and confirmed that it will be in the MCU main. So it's not going to be like a Joker-esque spinoff where it's doing its own thing. It's going to be involved in the MCU, and it's going to be rated R. So great news across the board. And we've talked about it on this show before. Mm -hmm. I assume his solo movies, like, like they've been saying since 2018, and like they've reconfirmed today, R-rated. Whenever he pops up in a crossover, he'll make some self-aware joke like, why am I being bleeped or something like right. that? And I'm like, ah, Deadpool, you and, rascal. And I've heard they're trying to make Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool a absolutely massive part of the MCU going forward. So we, we will see if that is played out. Yeah. You know, that that's a guy with star power. That's a guy whose Deadpool is obviously insanely popular. You know, 750 million for a solo movie, an R-rated solo movie, you know clearly that's a lot of cachet so i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case it'll just be a question of how well does he play off of others in that pg-13 format we'll have to say right now eric i don't know if you've consciously registered this but it has been 19 months since spider-man far from home hit theaters you know so nearly two years since we've gotten a new piece of massive marvel content and that's been because obviously the coronavirus pandemic has, has shut everything down and forced a major delays. And that was a backlog of product. But the upside of that, and there's a couple, but number one is that 2021 now promises to be the single busiest year in MCU history. Do you want me to run through all of the projects that have attended? Let them rip. State? Okay. Let them rip. Okay. Starting Friday, we got WandaVision. Falcon and the Winter Soldier drops in March. Black Widow, May. Loki May. What if is supposed to be mid-2021? Miss Marvel and Hawkeye supposed to be later 2021. Eternals 2021 in November. And Spider-Man 3 still tentatively set for December. Now And Shang-Chi. Oh my I even forgot about Shang-Chi this yeah, there's Oh a, my god. There's a ton. So what is that? What is, is got that one, 10 two. projects? We've got four movies and one, two, three, four, five, six, potentially six TV series this year alone. Wild. And I wrote about it recently on uh, uh, for Observer. Observer. 
<laughs> yeah, there we go. We get those plugs in. But basically what I said is if they play their cards right, they could essentially have up to between 40 and 50 uninterrupted, relatively weeks of new Marvel content, which is a whole new ball game, my friend. It's wild because I feel like post Endgame is when they finally achieved its title. Like they've been calling themselves the Marvel Cinematic Universe for 12 years at this point. But I don't feel like it's felt like a living, breathing world in the same way that the comics do up until the last few films when they really broadened the scope and interlocked all of the pieces. You can see how now it can give it that more sort of lived in feel. Now we're going to talk about it more in our next topic, which is a, a kind of more expansive WandaVision preview. But based off what you just said, let me ask you, because it's something I've been thinking about for the last week or so. Do you think that feeling is a little bit more tangible now? Because we are on the precipice of a ton of weekly blockbuster Marvel shows that just kind of elongates our engagement. And because we know they are going to be directly feeding into the big screen and vice versa, as opposed to just like, can't wait for the new Marvel movie. That's my exact point. That now, not only are they building on the continued narrative thread that the mcu has been doing for 10 plus years but now they're going to be doing it in real time you know everything is going to be unfolding week to week month to month one thing leads into the next so it's going to become and especially because you could watch at home and watch as much as you want and rewind and fast forward the experience i think is going to become more immersive than it's ever been do you think at this point 12 years into the game when Kevin Feige is asked these questions, do you think he's just reached the point where all he wants to do is goes, I'm fucking Kevin Feige. I haven't missed it over a decade. Just trust me. Shut up with your dumb, like, why'd you do this? Like, just trust me. Well, I think, I think there's a part of him. And I think what makes him so good is that he is at the end of the day, a fan. And that is, so he probably understands where it comes from. But that being said, if I were him, I mean, yeah. How do you not just let that dick swang? You know, that's (laughs) what I would do. (laughs) But yeah, I agree completely with what you said. This is the first time, especially on the precipice of WandaVision dropping uh, this week, that it really feels like we are at the next stage of evolution. And I know that's a bit dramatic language for what is ultimately comic book movies and TV shows, but we are, you know, going through the next iteration of the MCU. And that is going to be fun, whatever it is. Now, Eric, of those projects that I mentioned, all these 2021 projects on the board which are you most looking forward to all right why i I think we got to take spider-man 3 off the board because that's sort of like the obvious big ticket pick so that said i'm probably going with eternals oh well me too Uh, because a chloe zhao who i don't even know if i've seen one of her films but just based what on what i've heard about her i am so thoroughly impressed and giving her such an eccentric celestial project to me is just fascinating i'll be really interested to see what you think of nomadland i have a feeling that that's the type of shit that'll be right up my alley um i think you might dig it but uh and then it's also going to be like a thousand year spanning galactic epic almost which fuck man (laughs) count me in you know and the cast is incredible so richard madden angelina jolie a ton more brian Brian, 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 tyree henry who i love 
Yeah, so that's it for me for sure. Now, yeah. based on Kevin Feige's comments, it looks like the film branch is going to get pushed back again. Uh, he doesn't seem all that confident that Black Widow will drop in May. So when we get this film, I don't know, but I can't wait for it. Yeah, I mean, I got to go with Eternals as well, not to just regurgitate everything you just said, but much like I am with Star Wars, I am so excited for the prospect of not only all new characters, but all new timelines and periods of within the MCU history to explore. Like you said, it's about a thousand year saga. That's just jazzes me right up. Like you tell me there's going to be some eternal superheroes, maybe like in medieval for one scene or ancient Egypt for one scene, like hell yeah, just, yeah, just briefly. I'm fine with that. Plus it'll be awesome for them to explain like, Oh, they've been here the whole time. Like the, like yeah. I could just imagine them putting them in the background of scenes that we've seen in the MCU and be like, oh, they were hiding in plain sight type deal. Like I want to see the Battle of New York from Avengers raging on in the background. And then I want to see Kumail Nanjiani at a hot dog stand, take a bite, see what's happening, shrug his shoulders and then take another bite. Exactly. That's what I yes. Want. I definitely am pumped for that. The fact that we haven't gotten a trailer yet. Oh my God. Is ridiculous. Now, the theory out there is they can't show something because it might spoil something that hasn't yet been released just because of the succession right. of- that, ha that has to be it. Because That has to be it. Filming is time. done. Like, we haven't gotten, like, anything. I, we need a little something. I feel like they can uh, figure it out. And by the way, yeah, filming finished uh, February or March of 2020, something like that. Like, the fact that we haven't gotten anything is just, come on, guys. Come on. Yeah, but that does mean it's big. I would yeah, guess excited. that that does mean it's big. And if I and if I had to choose one other on the list as well, maybe one D plus and one movie to go along with uh, Eternals, I think it might be Loki. As much Wandavision, we're about to talk to talk about. That's why I'm not choosing that. But Loki looks like some of the most fun we might have on TV all year. I mean, my man is DB Cooper. Like that's it's a funny great that guy. you brought that up because I had that as my choice too as well because that is the only one of these so far that we know is season two is in the works already. Yeah. Really? So uh, I had thought that all of these were going to be one-offs, except for like Moon Knight, who obviously I think is going to have a big role in the MCU going forward. But I had thought that these series were going to be one-offs and not an ongoing thing. So to hear that they're already working on season two bodes well for the quality of yeah. season one. From my understanding, and I believe he might have, Kevin Feige might've made more comments today, further explaining it. But from my understanding, the movie characters getting TV shows are all one season and the TV characters getting their own like new shows being introduced are, are designed to run longer as long as the viewer viewership is there. Then hmm. uh, I'm very curious as to where that puts Moon Knight because he feels he feels too big to be a TV series character. I mean, I I would bet if it, if he's popular, he's going to pop up in the movies. And, yeah, for sure. But it was a nice surprise to see Loki get a season two, given my understanding before that. But yeah, so a lot of great things. Going to be probably the busiest Marvel year. Let's just right now be cautiously optimistic about theaters and everything, even though that may not come to pass. You know, we'll we'll see. Well, let's just hope right now. What we do know for 100% certain, no amount of pandemic or civil unrest can stop it. WandaVision will premiere on Disney Plus on Friday. It's twilight time. Wanda and Vision, aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is gonna be a gas. Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. 
I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? <laughs> Damn it, why? There's nothing you can do about it. The first two. First two episodes, which is cool. This is they're, they're going double Mando, you know, just trying to get us into it. Now, Eric, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but all of my friends always, you know, text and call me about like TV and movie stuff. And I got a lot of friends who are Marvel fans, but are just utterly baffled by what WandaVision even is. Mm-hmm. Do you have, have you had any similar experience? Well, here's, like, people here, who aren't like us. Here's what I'll say to that. I didn't know what the Mandalorian was going to be until the final shot of its pilot. So me thinks that WandaVision is going to come with a similar, not to the scale of Baby Yoda, but some sort of draw that creates news that will get people who are on the fence and or confused about what this show is going to be to buy in. I will admit that if you're not like a massive MCU fan like we are, or even a casual one, even this certainly doesn't sound like something that would that would invite me in. Um, the trailers are see, very esoteric. As, yeah, I mean the clip that just come out came out today is a straight up 1960s sitcom vibe, and that for guys like us who have consumed all 23 films so far. That's something new to us, right? So we're pumped about that. But if you're a casual fan, you you don't have that feeling of craving something new. I feel like you just kind of want the confusion, big, probably yeah. seeing a sitcom. So, with, but just because they always do know what they're doing, I would guess that there's going to be a big reveal this week that will bridge the gap between people who don't understand and the show. Because then they'll be like, even if I don't get it, now I got to tune in. I'm, I'm hoping so. I get my screeners Wednesday. I'm going to have to bang out that review before Friday's premiere, but I'm hoping so. Now, for those that are so confused, because that, this is what I seem to be getting from the regular population. I wanted to do like a bit of an overview slash explanation. So Perfect. I've got some quick work. facts to drop before you uh, hit me. Hit dive, me. I love, I love learning stuff. All right. So as you said, this is the first MCU project since 2019's Far From Home. That is the longest gap in the MCU between Incredible Hulk in 2008 and Iron Man 2 in 2010. Um, this is the first live action MCU series. Yes, there, there were those ones on Netflix, but this is the first one that is being done with actual MCU heroes. As I said before, this is beginning an arc that is going to carry out through Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2. I have long said, I suspect Doctor Strange may pop up at some point. I don't know who else could possibly... Who else could possibly reel her back in if she does need to be reeled back in? Uh, I will probably end up being wrong, but if we want to have like a one, I'm going to call my shot prediction, that's mine. And then episodes will progress through the decades and adapt the sitcom style of that decade. So we've seen hints at Bewitched so far, and that's going to run through you know, Cheers, and then Seinfeld, and then The Office, and then capping off from what I've heard, the final two episodes will be sort of the MCU blowout that we've come to know. So the first six will be this, or no, sorry, the first seven will be this sitcom homage, and then the final two will be sort of like, you know, this big hole-in-the-sky third-act MCU film. Which is 
a wildly ambitious and deliberately odd setup for a TV show, which I love personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder if it's because of the streaming. Like, do you think we would have gotten these type of projects if streaming was not a thing? Or because of the vacuum created by the need for more content, these various brands have had to come up with more creative ways to fill that void. It's really interesting you say that because we can just rip Peter Doctor, who is the head of Pixar and the co-director of Saul. We can just rip his recent comments and apply it directly to Marvel because it's the same thing. Uh, Pete Doctor said about two years ago or whenever it was, you know, maybe 2017, Bob Iger came to him and said, hey, we are launching Disney Plus, our own in-house streaming service, and we want Pixar to create content for it, exclusive original content for it. Now, normally, Pixar has a painstaking development process in which only the cream of the crop rises to the top, and so many good ideas get trashed because they're just not good enough. And, and I'm not saying they're sacrificing quality here, but what Pete Doctor said is, it freed us up to be a little bit more experimental and take a few more risks. We had a, a, a mandate to supply content. So some of our restrictions loosened up a little bit and we think we've done a great job kind of filling the niche so far. So I would assume it was the exact same conversation with Kevin Feige and Marvel and, and that, you and know, that they, and that and that bears itself in the very nature of this show. Even to guys like us, I still feel like it's a tough sell. Really tough sell. We're going to get to that in a little bit in a second because I want to talk specifically about it being a tough sell. But for anyone still confused, the overview plot outline of WandaVision is after the events of Avengers Endgame, Wanda and Vision are living the ideal suburban life in the town of Westview, trying to conceal their powers. As they begin to enter new decades and counter television tropes, the couple suspects that things are not as they seem. Now, things not being as they seem. Again, any casual viewer who has seen a trailer who hasn't read about this show is probably like, I don't understand what the hell is going on. So what is going on is that grieving over the loss of Vision in Avengers Infinity War and recovering from the trauma of being snapped in and out of existence, Wanda creates an alternate reality modeled after classic sitcoms from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So that's why Vision is, is still alive. That's that's why they are in this extremely weird world. So that is kind of the base explanation that a lot of anecdotally, the people around me who aren't huge fans have, have needed to understand. And I mean, it's key to point out the last time that we saw them. The last time that we saw Vision, he was getting killed by- Twice, Th- got killed Thanos. twice. Twice, right. Killed by Thanos twice in Infinity War. Hence why he did not return for Endgame. And the last time we saw Wanda, I think is very important here. In Endgame, we get sort of a epilogue to update us on Steve Rogers and the Hulk and where, they, where, where they've all been and where they're all going. The last time we see Wanda- She's busy tearing Thanos to pieces, saying, you took everything from me. That's in the year 2023, in the massive, massive battle. So, And she looks, in that scene, she looks like she is on the verge of utter rage. Um, I don't think think she's on the verge. I think she's raging. She's there. She's there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm saying, like, blinding rage. Like, like utterly consuming rage. She's about to snap. I don't blame her. Right, right. So... That is literally the last time we've seen her. So I think they do a good job in setting up sort of where she's at, even though she only had a small part in Endgame, just by A, 
the words that she says and B, the display of power that she puts forth, you really have an idea of where she's at in terms of the power scale and in terms of where she's at inside her heart and mind. I mean, I think Marvel does a terrible job modulating the powers, but I, I get what you mean overall. Like everyone is as powerful or as, as weak as they need to be for the dramatic stakes of a given scene. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I, I love it. And yeah, I do think they they do a good job of kind of bridging that gap. It's the last note we're left on, essentially. Now, I had forgotten some of these, but I think it's important to note for WandaVision for further context. There's a couple returning characters and a couple new characters. As for returning, obviously, Wanda and Vision. We're also getting Jimmy Woo, who's played by Randall Park in the Ant-Man movies. He plays that hilarious FBI agent who, like, kind of wants to be Scott Lang's friend, which I love. Darcy Lewis, played by Kat Dennings. The last time we saw her, I believe, was Thor The Dark World. She was Natalie Portman's assistant or co-worker. I'm not sure what her title was. Um, and we're also getting a grown-up Monica Rambeau. I did not was... know that uh, Kat Dennings' is character. Yeah, so she's returning, and I was thinking about it. Remember in Thor The Dark World, she was basically helping setting up those, like, MacGuffin tripods that helped like open doors to like other pockets of the universe. I was like, ah, well. yes, Thor the Dark World, because that is something I've saved a lot of space in my brain for. <laughs> well, that's what she's doing in that shitty movie. And that would make sense <laughs> here if she's trying to make, you know, doorways for S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever to get into wherever uh, Wanda, Wanda's, you know, set up shop. So I thought that might make sense. We're also getting a grown up Monica Rambeau. We first saw her in Captain Marvel as a kid. Um, so that'll be cool. And then as for new characters, Catherine Hahn is playing Agnes, who plays their nosy neighbor, but there's almost definitely something more that meets the eye to her. I love Catherine Hahn, huge fan. I can't wait to see her unleashed in all her chaotic energy. For sure. Let me point out a few quick points about some of the names that you just brought up. As I just talked about, um, Captain Marvel's Monica Rambeau is going to appear in this and Captain Marvel 2 with Miss Marvel. So that's a thread as well. Um, She is, at least in the comics, a New Orleans native who first gained her powers through um, exposure to an intense blast of energy. Go ahead. What are her powers? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Brandon. She's (laughs) extraordinarily powerful. She could fly. She could travel at the speed of light. And she could even transform herself into pure energy. Cool. Sort of like. Scarlet Witch, they're kind of undefined, but she's powerful enough that she was the first African-American woman to join the Avengers and one day took over as leader. So this is a character, given that she's going to play a role in the MCU going forward, which is clear here, there's a lot more than meets the eye. And she's obviously going to be a key to whatever is going on in this show. Catherine Hahn is... Not confirmed, but rumored to play a character named Agatha Harkness. Now, again, this is not confirmed, but this seems to be the general idea. And she is one of the Marvel world's oldest witches. And while she's got a menacing demeanor in this trailer, in the comics, she's actually an ally of Wanda who helps train her and helps her learn how to control her usually unstable powers. She also is known for warping reality. So my theory based on that is Agatha could be training Wanda for the multiversal madness that we know is going to befall the MCU in the next few years. 
and could be trying to do so with whatever she's doing to her through vision and such. Because I'm that not be cool. Yeah, because I'm not sure. And she is dressed like a witch in the trailer for yeah. when it's Halloween. So like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, so that is where she stands. Um, Again, that's just based on the comic books and the MCU has been known to divert from that at times. I doubt all of those facts will be true, but it wouldn't shock me if some of them are. I mean, I hope I hope Catherine Hahn has a lot to do because I just love her and I hope she sticks around in the MCU because she's- Yeah, great. that'd be great. So she could kind of, it sounds like she could kind of be like, they're Madam Web a little bit. And then let me just touch on uh, two new characters that you did not bring up, and that's their twins. Now, here's where we really get into the comic book weeds. This is way above my sort of depth of knowledge here. One of them is named Billy Kaplan, Wiccan. The other, Tommy Shepard, Speed. They are yet another connection to the young Avengers, which we're getting in. Hawkeye and is coming in the form of Kang. Wiccan is known for, he is immensely powerful. He has powers that are similar to like his mom, Scarlet Witch, and Thor. And along with, and now this is a a wild one, along with a character called Hulkling, he makes up Marvel's most prominent gay couple. They were the first gay marriage in Marvel Comics. Given the way that the brand is clearly trying to expand its reach, it makes sense that that's a road that they would want to go down in the coming years. As for speed, his name is his powers. He has super speed thanks to Wanda's brother, Quicksilver, who, of course, was played by Aaron Taylor Johnson in Age of Ultron. So I would keep an eye on those two as to where those threads could unfold in the MCU down the line. I've also seen Shatter, which which makes sense on, on Twitter, that from like a structural standpoint... One of the reasons why they're hopping decades is so the kids can grow up in the show too and kind of get up to their own uh, little adventures. And, and I and think then that they would could be- use them first thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a, a smart little tidbit that I had not considered when, when thinking about the kind of structure and format of the show. Yeah. Now, from everything we've just talked about, from a conceptual standpoint and from everything you've seen in trailers, what are you thinking about WandaVision? Because I, for one, am extremely excited to see something purposely, intentionally very different from the 12 years that have preceded it. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how they maintain and sustain the sitcom gimmick. Not gimmick, because I don't know if it's a gimmick yet, but how that's played out over the course of multiple episodes. Because while I could see that being funny in the first one, the first two, the sitcom style and the usual goal of a comic book project aren't one and the same. Those two ideals might clash if, or not ideals, but those two manner of doing things are very incongruent. Whereas sitcoms are more about like, you know, dragging out for as long as it can comic book films are about to building to a crescendo so i'm curious to see how they balance the sort of zany sitcominess with also bringing those sort of comic book thrills that we've come to know and love that said and as we've pretty much spent most of this podcast talking about and as we've talked about pixar on this podcast their sense of just fucking going for it in this is very cool to me. Uh, as we said, I think that the Disney Plus era has allowed the MCU to go outside their lane a little bit. And this is going to be the first taste of that. And if this is a success, this only bodes well for the variety of content that we'll get 
going forward. We all want this to do well, period, the end. To your first point as well about the kind of diverging goals and style of a comic book blockbuster piece of content and what a sitcom is supposed to accomplish. I've read that the first six episodes, all of which are sitcom uh, appropriations, are about 30 minutes, like a normal sitcom. And the last two uh, or three episodes where, like you said, the MCU blowout element, they beef up. They get a a little bit longer. So I think that approach can also help meld the differences between the two without getting in its own way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as I say on this podcast all the time, they've done nothing except prove to us for the last 10 years that they know exactly what they're doing. So yeah, exactly. Now, what do you want most out of WandaVision? If you had to choose one element that could be, you know, setting up a future plot line that could be a cameo. What, yeah. what? So I guess it's twofold. I mean, as I've been saying, I would love, and they both sort of tie in. When the MCU started this Disney Plus world, they promised that the events of these series would be crucial to the overarching plot of the MCU as a whole, including the films. So I want that to be proven. I want this to have stakes that are worthy of an MCU film and that leave you with the sense of, Things are different now. Going into this, there's an expectation from me that this could be the quote-unquote big bang of the multiverse in the MCU. And that, as a prospect, is enticing. And then to that point, to hammer home just how important and how grand the stakes are, I would love to see Doctor Strange pop up at some point. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we first brought up the prospect of Doctor Strange cameoing in this. And I leaned way more to the no side. I didn't think that would happen. After seeing, spoiler alert, Luke in the season finale of The Mandalorian, I, I'm so far on the other side of the spectrum. I'm like, that motherfucker is show- He's going to be doing party tricks at Wanda's <laughs> kid's fucking third birthday party. See, that's a great point. Like, they don't even have to do something serious with him. I am hoping that it's like a... He like busts in Wanda. What yeah. the hell's going on? The WandaVision. <laughs> Marty, we got to get back in the... <laughs> Your kids, Something's got to be done about your kids. Um, but e- even if it's just in a cameo role, wink and nod, if he's one of the ones to be like, Wanda, this is not real, and that's it, fine. But yeah, just loop in Strange in some way, shape, or form to really prove that this thread is going to yeah. connect all the way through to his film. Now, based on because what again, people- and 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 the premise of this theory is that outside of Wanda herself which will probably be the case, who is possibly equipped to stop her? Nobody. Except for Strange. So that is the only thing that leads me down that road. Now, for me, based on everything that's been written about it and what cast and crew and executives have said, this is supposed to deal with Wanda's mental state and her grief and everything. So I really hope they don't shy away from making something of a substantive commentary on on mental health. Now, it's an MCU blockbuster show, you know, that's essentially aimed at kids. I don't need them to go full, like, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. But I think it would be really amazing if a comic book TV show had something important and comforting to say in terms of everyone dealing with with mental health issues. I think that would send a great message and would really, truly set it apart from a lot of other Marvel shows and superhero comic uh, book adaptations in general. 
It's a great shout. And the comic book that this is fans think that this is based on is called the House of M, which we've talked about on this podcast and which is perhaps teased at in the first trailer because there's a wine bottle, which in French translates to House of Misery. Um, so that's a pretty big nod right there. But in that story, Wanda, again, she's in her own world. She has her own family. And once she finds out that she's not, she has such a serious mental break that she effectively wipes out all of the mutants, 98% of them in an event called the decimation where she called oops, right? Yeah. Where she like takes away their, their powers. So obviously mutants aren't in the MCU yet, but the story, and it's a beloved story, the impact of what goes down with her in that is massive. So it, it would be great if they were to follow that same course here. So side note, that's not important whatsoever. Can androids procreate? Vision is, is I, I can't even begin to describe to you what's going on. Paul Bentley's confirmed that the guy has got a dick. Wanda. I mean, but does he materialize it himself just like he did his cape uh, in Ultron? Yes, like, yes. I would imagine that he chooses how long or short it can or cannot be. I mean, oh, like if she wants, if, but... she, if she wants some more girth on that day, he can widen it. If she wants some length, he could lengthen it. So now I'm starting to get why she's into him. Because, <laughs> yeah, besides, because besides that, the versatility. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he's we've like a about... uh, one of those Swedish knives. Oh no, Swiss Army knife of dongs. <laughs> I mean, listen, there are a lot of worst, you know, attributes or, or or names to be had than like, hey, I'm a Swiss Army knife of hanging hanging day. <laughs> this is why everyone tunes into the podcast mm. so we can talk about fictional characters private parts hey he um, brought it up not us to be fair <laughs> that's true uh so we've talked about it on this pod today it is a difficult sell because it's esoteric it is weird it is conceptually ambitious it is a weird choice to start the marvel empire on disney plus and lo and behold was not originally meant to be the first marvel show on disney plus that was supposed to be falcon and winter soldier but due to uh due to the production shutdown that wasn't able to be the case eric how do you feel in terms of the greater mcu trying to bring this new dimension of entertainment how do you think this weird show is going to serve as a launching pad. Yeah, well, I've kind of said it. I mean, if this goes well, it'll... I wrote on a post today that their willingness to make an R-rated Deadpool film and their willingness to make a show like this only bodes well for how dark and weird projects like Moon Knight and Blade could be. There has been a long-running criticism about this genre that everything is sort of one and the same. This is a chance to really change that more than ever, A, because it's a TV show. Uh, it's literally changed mediums. So that's a huge step forward. But B, just as you've said, it's very concept. It is going to have direct homages to sitcoms that came out 20 years before you and I were born. And as you just pointed out, this is a show effectively made for kids. And that's a fascinating sort of blend because at the same time, you're getting these very niche throwbacks mixed in with mainstream popcorn content. Yeah, And more so than ever, they it, like if this is 
quality, you could theoretically watch this with your parents, right? Like my mom and dad, if this was, if, if they really hold true to that sitcom fair and have a little bit of sci-fi superhero stuff, if they spend half of their season paying homage to shows that they grew up loving, that's a whole new ballgame. You know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier looks like it's going to revert back to the mean to some extent and be more, more of a standard. classic standard fare. Loki, though, looks like it could be just as weird. But this really is something unlike that's ever been done in the genre. And when you pair something new and the MCU, the result will likely be great. But to play devil's advocate, I, I I think this show looks great. I'm so excited for it. But if I'm staring at it from a commercial standpoint, I can absolutely see diehard Marvel fans such as you and I really liking it. And I can see a general population of casual moviegoers, casual Marvel audience members finding it a little bit too impenetrable due to its high concept nature, finding it a little bit too odd and weird with six episodes of sitcom. That's why I think that they're going to drop a bomb that makes people. I hope so. Be interested in its plot. that They'll be able to overcome its stylistic choices. I hope so. But at the same time, you know, they never intended this. They wanted the more standard, more straightforward kind of action blockbuster Falcon and Winter Soldier to be the first Disney Plus series. So those casual people will be like, wow, this is like watching a Marvel action movie on TV. I'll try the next one, which is WandaVision. So they were already kind of hooked in by the time the weird one got there. Starting on the weird one, I'm hoping it's not one of those critically acclaimed, but, you know, 30% 30% of Mando's viewership, which we don't well, exactly know because they don't they don't I'm, release that. But I'm glad that you name checked that show because I was going to say, what about the Bank of Mando? And what I mean by that is how much credit are viewers giving them now? That show is a cultural phenomenon in the superhero sci-fi genre, perhaps unlike anything we've seen since Peak Thrones. You know, that's the sort of status it holds. So when you take... The fact that the first Disney Plus Star Wars series was not only such a hit, but a hit to the extent that you have people like me saying, this is my favorite Star Wars shit of all time. You have that credit built up with such a widespread audience that may transfer over to, wait, if they nailed Star Wars, then they're going to nail the MCU too. I hope so, but that has not often been the case for plus the reviews the early reviews and i know we just got duped by those from fucking wonder woman 84's bum ass but and that's why we will always speak the truth on this podcast because that infuriated me but everything we've heard so far is creating strong word of mouth but listen the bank of mando i think it's a little bit more ethereal than you're giving it credit for even when peak thrones was just rolling and crushing everything HBO launched and failed at several other shows arounding it. You know, it wasn't like every HBO thing got. But those were based on original IP. This is this is this that we've been sold on this. I get that, but I would say the history of TV has examples of hit shows not necessarily leading into hit shows. Now, I'm playing devil's advocate from a commercial standpoint. I do believe Marvel, uh, WandaVision will be good, but. I can see it being high quality, but not as commercially sex- successful as we're used to with something of this nature. That's what Do I'm you think it will be as big of a hit as 
Mando. No, no way, I, right? No, no yeah. shot. Same. Okay. I, I have a feeling most of these shows will not be as big of a hit as Mando. Mando is, you know, the heir apparent to Game of Thrones. I think Mando, in, in certain regards, has maybe surpassed Stranger Things. Certain regards, not. But I would say definitely. For sure. Definitely, yes. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. I mean, so in certain regards, definitely. So I, I don't think, you know, there's going to be a consistent repeat of that level of global cultural penetration. This That is rare, but that doesn't mean it can't be massively popular. Right. It could happen. It, it certainly could happen. I mean, and there's, and we didn't even talk about the straight thirst. We're thirsty out here, man. We're starving. Yeah. It's been so long. So I'd be you know. shocked if the first two episodes weren't like massively viewed. There's yeah. a, roughly yeah, a hundred million Disney plus subscribers. I'd be shocked if like, 80% aren't hitting those that weekend. Right, right. All right, now what do we think about the MCU, as we've talked about today, becoming even more interconnected? Because now that so many characters and plot lines and story elements will ping pong between Disney Plus and the big screen, how, where does that leave people who aren't like you and I, who are watching every single friggin' frame of footage, reading every stupid theory article? What about the average fan who wants to go to a Marvel movie in oh. 2022 and has no fucking idea what's going on because they haven't watched the five Disney Plus Marvel shows that set everything up? Why don't you uh, preach, fam? Well, I'll, listen. I'll, I'll let you close out the show today. <laughs> well, we still got one more question Question after that. Yeah, yeah, it's a quickie. It's a quickie. But my thinking is it's both great and not so great. And that's not super eloquent. But what I mean is that it rewards the people like you and I. It rewards the people that are listening to podcasts such as this. The people who are such deep fans who have now given more than a decade of their attention and hard-earned money and their emotional investment. It's a huge payoff for them because finally – you are able to compound all of the best elements that people love so much into consistent bonanzas of like, holy shit, that from that thing, that thing from that thing, that's a great payoff from what which was earned from before. And that's great. But it is a little bit dense in terms of attracting new customers. Is new that their goal members. though? Yeah, that's is that their goal. goal? That's always their goal. Yeah, it's not just Even with a show turn. like this, I, I feel like, but I'm saying Disney. all the shows. I'm not just saying WandaVision, all of them. But that's the point. They're just, they're just trying to build out a robust library. The draw is not this show. The draw is all the shows. But because all of them are now interacting with one another, it makes it more difficult to follow along. WandaVision is going to have nothing to do with the show that comes next, though. No, 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 no. But I'm saying paying attention to the entire MCU. Like, but if, as I said, Doctor that Strange, may not be WandaVision. the case. The MCU is branching off into these mini arcs where you could choose to consume or not consume what stories you want. So Kevin Feige has said that to really understand 100% of Marvel movies going forward, you'll have to tune into a couple of the shows and vice versa. But so, so that is what I'm saying in terms of making it slightly more difficult to attract new consumers, new audience members. Having said all that, Kevin Feige is also not an idiot. It is not going to be so nonsensical and impenetrable he's gonna make sure that people who have never picked up a marvel comic book tuned into a movie or whatever are still going to be able to enjoy it but it is going to be a difficult balance to strike and i'm sure some shows will succeed at it more than others so i, I will expect a little bit of general audience confusion going forward but 
the upside is is so much larger and significant than the downside. The point is, is that they've got like three of them are sort of creating their own tiny arcs within phase four as a larger construction. And I think that they're aware that the people who like Falcon and Winter Soldier may not be the same people who like WandaVision and they're trying to give them as much of a choice as possible. Very true. That's that's a good point. I mean, they may not need know or be aware of every single detail going on that'll affect future stories, but they'll know enough to hop on the train, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now before we we sign off today, Eric, as you and I are both big sitcom fans overall, we know WandaVision is appropriating sitcoms from, you know, the mid to, to late 20th century. Which TV show most out of all of them, do you want to see WandaVision pay homage to as it does its whole sitcom routine? As it's been confirmed, we know that they're going to hit every decade from the 50s up to the 2000s, I think. Because I did think Was they it? name-checked the sort of handheld modern family office oh, cool, cool. style. I didn't, um, I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be the entire way through. That being said... My favorite sitcom and one of my favorite shows of all time is Seinfeld. I grew up on that. I remember watching it with my dad at like, you know, 7.30 on TBS. And even though jokes were flying over my head at the time, I still found it hilarious. Um, It's still funny to this day. I don't know how exactly they do it. Maybe somebody like they're in a Seinfeld S apartment and somebody bursts in like Kramer because Seinfeld wasn't really... Yeah, it wasn't really a show that had style cues. It was more like dialogue and setting cues. Um, Best observational humor, you know, ever. Yeah, but that's all script, right? That's not like, that's not a, you know, like you could tell in the clip that they've shown that they're paying homage to Dick Van Dyke and I love Lucy. Bewitched and right. So just in, in style and tone, I wouldn't say that Seinfeld really has that outside of its, you know, iconic theme song. And the diner and Jerry's apartment and well, he's got some like '90s turtlenecks going on. Like, yeah, maybe some steez like that. So that would be yeah. my guess. Probably that they're living in Jerry's apartment and somebody bursts in like Kramer. That would be ideal for me. I think because it's just so ubiquitous, and for millennials, it's also often the first real foray into sitcoms. I mean, I'd love to see a Friends amalgamation. It's just, it's so classic and it's such, and I actually mean this as a, as a good thing, not as a, a, a criticism. It's like the beginner level. Like that was the first sitcom I was like, oh, this is what a sitcom is. That or like Boy Meets World, which I doubt they're going to be doing. So I think because of how uniform it has it's become in pop culture, how big it still looms. And because The Office may or may not be in that that time period that they, they cut off from, I would love to see... Chandler-esque, Monica-esque, something in the apartment as well. I just think that would be a nice little, like, ah, warm and Now the listeners out there know which one of us is a Seinfeld guy and which one of us is a Friends guy. And that well, I still really, really should... like Seinfeld, but yeah. I was going to choose Seinfeld also if oh. you already chose it, you know? Okay, okay. If, if I could choose any sitcom, it would be Parks and Rec, because that's probably my favorite oh, all time. That'd be but, great. But they're not going to, you know, go that far. I know, but that would be great if they did. That would be fair. Well, great shot. All right. Is that all? think that's it for us today all right we will be doing week by week recaps just like we did with mando so dope for you guys (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) write us a review follow us at postcred five stars uh, five stars yep follow us postcred pod 
just keep being uh, great listeners. We appreciate Tweets, it. memes, gifts, etc. Sitcom. I love On that note. Make them off again. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs>